I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Here's our host, Boyd Matheson, on KSL News Radio. Well, the headlines out of Washington, D.C. continue to be that President Biden and Speaker McCarthy are just not even close in terms of negotiating on anything relating to the debt ceiling and spending cuts. Now, we're going to get beyond the headlines, as we often do, because there's one thing the president could have done, should have done, was required to do, but didn't do, that actually could make all the negotiations a whole lot easier. Let's begin. Think you know the news of the day? Think again. We're really thrilled to have back on the show today Kevin Kosar. He's a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. He's the co-editor of Congress Overwhelmed, Congressional Capacity and Prospects for Reform. He also hosts the Understanding Congress podcast, which you should check out as well. And uh, Kevin, thanks for joining us today. Fantastic piece uh, talking about part of the equation when it comes to spending and negotiations and debt ceiling that nobody else is really talking about that I think is sort of the the beginning of the beginning if we're going to have a, a serious conversation. Oh, thank you for having me on board. Yes, we have a situation once again in Washington, D.C., where uh, leaders of the two parties have publicly declared they have lines in the sand when it comes to dealing with debt, with dealing with spending. And when you look at those lines, they're awfully far apart. But as we all know, ultimately, they're going to have to come to a deal. And the trick in the coming days and weeks is for them to find that space so that they can come to a deal, but not look like they are surrender monkeys. Right, right. And so I want to start with something that you point out in your piece. That uh, is this. There's this whole idea that the the president is supposed to put forward a budget. There's actually a deadline for that. Uh, so walk us through where we've been kind of historically and where we are with the Biden administration in terms of kind of that opening salvo. Sure. Under the uh, Congressional Budget Act, uh, the president is supposed to submit his budget to Congress. Big thick tomes with lots of tables and Excel spreadsheets attached and all that sort of stuff in early February at latest. Biden has not done that. He's saying it won't show up until March. And I know that that's really unfortunate because one thing that you typically find in a presidential budget are a list of government programs that should be cut or eliminated entirely. And I feel like if Biden had brought that list out and given it over to the GOP, that would have been helpful. It would have shown that, hey, just because I'm a Democrat doesn't mean I'm afraid to cut 
waste yeah. and to decrease the size of government. Yeah, and I think that whole look of just, you know, whether it's waste, fraud, abuse, or whether it's just programs that are not delivering the results that we need, uh, I think that's such an important uh, important thing. So as, as you mentioned, the, the deadline is the first Monday of February, uh, and uh, you noted in your piece that uh, usually a president in their first year is a little late, and they kind of give them a mulligan on that one, uh, but we're we're well into the game here with President Biden, uh, and so for him to not put that forward till March uh, really does slow down any potential negotiation. And you actually framed, and I'd love you to walk us through this, uh, what President Barack Obama did uh, that I think was kind of a, a game changer in terms of let's have a real conversation. And here's here's what I can bring to the table. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Yeah, yeah. years ago, President Obama, uh, Mr. Biden knows pretty well, included in his budget submission a whole chapter devoted to various programs initiatives, and other stuff that he wanted to zero out, just get rid of. They were unproven, they'd failed, they were redundant, or they just didn't make sense anymore, you know? And that was great. And what I think is basically Biden should do the same thing. And if I had my dream, it would be part of the budget process every year that the president would say, I've got a list for you of programs we should get rid of. And I'm sending it to you, and I'd love for you, Congress, to just vote up or down on it. Don't negotiate. Don't haggle. Dump this list in a bill and vote up or down. And we can make it a regular annual practice to kind of clean up the junk and resend those funds to the American people or to put them to more useful purposes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and because sometimes it's not about cutting big government, although there's a lot of that that can be done, but sometimes it's it's fixing broken government. And so if a program isn't working I think, for an administration of either political party to say, you know what, these programs aren't working, so we're going to zero them out. And uh, then let's have a conversation about what we need to do next or how we can do that better. Uh, You noted in your in your piece that when uh, President Obama did that, he had one hundred and thirty cuts, about 17 billion annually that he said to Congress, hey, these are things I don't think are working anymore. Uh, We can do better. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and government then was smaller than today. I mean, we're up to six to seven trillion dollars in spending each year. And yes, a lot of that is entitlements and paying down the debt, you know, somewhere around 70 percent. But that still leaves an awful lot of government that is probably not necessary. And, you know, it's just it's one of those dynamics of representative government that you have new legislators coming to town and they're like, hey, I got to do something about you know, joblessness. So I want to create a new program. Well, guess what? Everybody has been doing that for the last hundred years. (laughs) And these programs keep stacking up. You need to have a process where you just regularly prune that stuff, where you cut away old growth. And if you want to have new growth, you can grow it. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's so many programs that are, again, well-intentioned, but they're either duplicative and some of them are even contrary to each other and, and often end up hurting the poor and the most vulnerable the most. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, if the president was looking for a really nonpartisan way to do this, 
he could even start with some of the reports that the Government Accountability Office, those nonpartisan watchdogs, produce each year, where they lay out, here are the things that haven't proven to be good programs. Here are places you can cut. Here are places you can economize. They're right there in black and white. Yeah. Just put those things together and vote on them. Yeah, I would, uh, I would love to hear the president tonight lead with that. <laughs> Say, okay, Congress, I'm actually here to, to do something about the State of the Union, and these are the things as outlined in the Constitution that are needed and necessary uh, and expedient, and uh, here's, here's one we can begin with. And I think that would be such a game changer uh, for both sides of the political aisle to say, oh, oh, we can have a very different conversation. We don't just have to go to our talking points and just, uh, as you said, just that overgrowth of program on top of program on top of program, most of them compounding failure along the way rather than weeding those out, reassessing, uh, and then and then charting a new course. Uh, do, do you think there's any appetite in the administration uh, or or anywhere? Is this something that Kevin McCarthy ought to be doing from the Republican side to pull out and say, uh, he could even go back and work off of President Obama's list <laughs> uh, and say, here's some things that President Obama would have cut. Uh, is there any way for that kind of negotiation, or are we just going to wait until March and then uh, wait and then have the, the 11th hour negotiation like we, we've been doing? You know, I would hope that Biden and McCarthy's pragmatism would rise to the surface here and kind of lead things, even if they have to do it very, very quietly. Mm. It's totally doable to create this sort of list. It doesn't have to sacrifice, you know, the dignity or happiness of either political party to identify some of these cuts. They can leave their sacred cows. They can do whatever they want, but they can do this. The question is, will they? Yeah. And I think Democrats have fallen into a trap of being reflexively against cutting government. I mean, Obama, he was, you know, he was Democrat. He was progressive. But in certain ways, he didn't follow the typical Democratic script, yeah. which is whenever you say, why don't we cut something? Why don't we reduce spending? Is to attack the other side as bad, evil Republicans who want to smother government in a bathtub. I hope Biden can rise above that. Yeah, I, I think that would be so important for the country, one, to see that kind of uh, the integrity of that kind of compromise, which I think satisfies both ends of the scale. Uh, but to have that kind of integrity of compromise and looking out for what is best for the American people uh, and how can we, we best serve that. Uh, great insight, as always. Uh, great piece. Uh, Kevin Kosar, senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Uh, also, just remember, he's co-editor of Congress Overwhelmed, Congressional Capacity and Prospects for Reform. Uh, really important work there. And then, of course, he's the host of Understanding Congress podcast. Uh, Kevin, always appreciate your perspective. Great writing. This is thinking that I wish... Every president, every member of the administration, and every member of Congress would sit down and take a read because I think it would be the start of a new and a better conversation. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Boyd. So equal opportunity offender moment here. Republicans need to not react and think that the answer to everything is cutting government. And Democrats should not react that anytime government cuts are mentioned that we have to fight against that. We don't need that. What we need is a real conversation and look at things that are broken. Again, it's not just cutting big governments. Fixing broken government is what this should really be about. And look at history. And I'm going to say this again for emphasis. President Barack Obama sent a list to conference uh, to the Congress. It identified 130 cuts that would save $17 billion annually because they weren't working. 
So why can't President Biden and why can't Kevin McCarthy each come up with a list of programs that we should at least take a good hard look at to see if it's doing what it's supposed to do for the American people? Because that's the only way you not just get to a good compromise, you get to the integrity of compromise, which is exactly what the nation needs. With Lloyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America, but this story is still unfolding. I'm Andreas Martin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.